Hey, my name is Caleb. I'm glad you're here. Um, I am the student pastor here, and I get to speak to you a little bit as we close out the series called Relationship Goals. I'm going to speak to you a little bit, and then we're going to break into what we call community groups, where we separate by um, grade. And so you'll go to a different room based on what grade you're in. And, and the whole point of a community group, just so you know, if you've been coming and you're like, what, why do we do this? The whole point is that we would speak to you about something or prepare to speak to you about something and you as a seventh grader or an 11th grader uh, or, or wherever you're at would be able to say, okay, how do I actually take the truth from God's word, take the truth and the challenge from what the speaker shared and then, and then really like use that? How, how do I use that so that it's beneficial for my life? And that's our whole point of community groups. And so I would encourage you, don't waste that time. Don't waste that opportunity to listen. Don't waste that opportunity to speak. Don't waste that opportunity to learn. It really is for your benefit. And so you'd be able to know the people that are in your same life stage. You would know the people around you. Um, so tonight, we are concluding the series on relationship goals. If you missed a week and you're like, man, I really want to do relationships well, I want to know that, you can always find it on Spotify, or you can find us on uh, anywhere you get a podcast. Uh, also on YouTube, you can, if you like to watch, that you can go to our channel, Rock Students, on any of those platforms and hear or see previous messages. And so we put those up just for you, just so you would be able to hear it and see it or share it with a friend or whatever that looks like um, for your benefit. Tonight, we're looking at the final stage of relationship goals that we're going to cover, which is marriage. That every relationship, if done well, um, God would say, hey, we should, should lead to a godly marriage. And what you see about God's word in God's word about marriage is this. Hear this, that marriage is the closest picture we have to what Christ uh, did for the church and how Christ loves the church and the church being you and me, people who would follow him. He says, marriage is the closest picture of a man uh, sacrificing and, and loving his wife and, and a wife loving and serving her husband. Like those two together, it's this beautiful picture. He says, man, that is the picture of Christ's love for the church church for you and for me when it lived out in marriage. It's this really cool picture, like, like really intention, intentionally, like, and in the beginning was built that we would see Jesus in all of the marriages. Now, here's what I understand, and you know this too, is that marriages today don't look like that. They don't feel like that all the time. On TV, they're not even seen like that. And in fact, a lot of times, like marriage is actually not even really talked about. Now it's just couples living together and acting like they're married and, and pretending to be married and doing all the things that married couples do without any of the commitment that married couples would have. And so I just want to talk about tonight what that really looks like. I'm going to pray for us um, because I believe that we need the Lord to speak and not just me because I'm not that wise and that, um, and then we'll talk through that. All right, so if you pray with me. God, we love you. We thank you for tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to hang out together, to spend time together, Lord, to look at your word and, and to understand what it says. Um, and God, we just ask that you would move in these moments, Lord, that you would give us focus and understanding, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, God, that you would bring healing Lord, that you would help us um, to look at the things that you've orchestrated and how you've made us relational to be in a relationship, God, and would you help us to do them well? 
Could you help them, us to do them in a way that they, they don't harm us, but they actually help us? And so God, would you be at work um, in this time? We give it to you. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the deal. Here's the scary part. Um, what a good marriage takes, what a good marriage takes is love. For a marriage to last, hear me on this, is love. And now I might be defining love a different way than you define love. Now, now what's, what's interesting to me is that when you go and you get on Google, and you could do this because I literally did this like 30 minutes ago, and you, define, and you said, hey, Google, uh, what is love? you begin to get a whole list of people's ideas of what love is. And then, you know, have you ever Googled something and then underneath it, it has like other common questions? Well, one of the other common questions that comes up when you say, hey, what is love? It says, how do I know that I'm in love? And so I clicked on it because I was like, well, this might be good for me to know. Uh, I'm married. Um, make sure that I'm still in love. Here's what Google said. Here's what Google said. Here's just, here's just six answers. Hey, you know you're in love if you can't stop thinking about them. Man, so does that mean that you're in love with your math teacher? When you're like, man, I cannot stop thinking about how much I hate them. Anyway, uh, does that mean you're like, I actually like my math teacher. She is kind of, anyway, all right. Uh, being with them feels super easy. You don't care about your ex anymore. So awesome. You're okay with making, this is the best part. This is the best part. You may know you're in love if you're okay with making small sacrifices for them. Emphasis on small, not big sacrifices, but like small sacrifices, you're probably in love. Uh, listen, listen, you're comfortable being just you around them. I feel like I'm describing like a Hallmark movie. You can't stop talking about them. I'm just telling you this. If all I did was talk about my wife, because I'm in love with my wife, I would have one really annoyed wife. She'd be like, dude, stop. Like, leave me alone. Now, here's what, what, what happens, though, in today's world. Is we have a definition of love. Google has a definition of love. Actually, it's really alarming because when you get on there and you begin to look at what is love and how do I know I'm in love, everybody has this opinion. But if you looked at and listened to any of those things I just said, they all revolve around how good it makes the person who's in love with the other person feel. So if I'm in love with someone here, then it really revolves like, do I know I'm in love? How good do I feel because of that person? That's how in love I would be like I know that I am with them but what is so alarming about today and, and what we've done as a culture is we've begun to confuse love with this word called infatuation what infatuation is which I actually googled that too what I got with the definitions it sounds really similar to what they defined love as Here's how they define infatuation. If you're actually infatuated with a person and don't love a person, this is what they said. You constantly are thinking about this person. That's what they just said love was. But these people would say, no, no, actually that's what infatuation is. That you can't stop thinking about anything else. Here's another one. You feel like the person is basically perfect or the ideal partner. Like, okay, that's not love, that's infatuation because we know no one is actually perfect. 
I would say you, you feel vaguely obsessed with the person. <laughs> vaguely. Ah, mildly obsessed with them. You fantasize about this person despite knowing them on a personal level yet. You feel a little disappointed when the person doesn't meet your expectations or you shrug it off just as a fluke. You feel just a little disappointed when they're not the person you thought they were and you just shrug it off because why? You fantasize them and think about them as a perfect person. You're very concerned about impressing this person or having them see you in a positive light. You're overjoyed by the idea of having this person or being chosen by them. So I just want you to hear this. Infatuation is something that, and we're going to get into it in just a minute. Infatuation is not love. But here's what's happened in today's society and in our culture. We've confused infatuation with love. And when I Googled just 15 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, 45 minutes ago, when I Googled it and I said, what is love and what is infatuation? I actually got the exact same definitions. So for us, and here's the, here's the problem, guys. For us to walk into a relationship and thinking it's rooted in love when it's actually rooted in infatuation, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And if you look at our society today, they would say, actually, you're setting yourself up to, to have a one, in 50, or, or a, a one in two chance of succeeding. You have a 50% chance of failure because we walk into relationships not understanding what love really is. And yet that is what marriage takes and good relationships take is real love. But if you walk in with the wrong weapon for the job, you lose. Like if you walk in to a marriage not knowing what love is, but thinking you do, your marriage will not work out. If you walk into a relationship, a friendship, a dating relationship, and you think that you know what love is, but you don't, it will not last. I would say that actually the clearest picture of what love is, is actually a person that's pretty close to me, that, that this is confusing. For me, I find clarity when I, when I think about my grandfather and I've shared this story a few times. My grandfather um, is married to my grandfather, grandmother, and they've been married for like, I don't know, like 60 years, 50 something, I don't know, a long time. Over 60 years. They've been married for like 65, uh, 65 years, 70 years probably, actually. I'm thinking about how old my mom is. They've probably been married for like 70 years. This is a picture of my, my grandfather and my grandmother right here. Uh, that's my grandfather, and he's holding my grandmother's hand. And my grandmother, I'm going to be honest with you, she looks like a little, like, a little creepy. Uh, and, and here's why. It's because my grandmother, since 1987, has been struggling with dementia. Dementia, uh, it, it, er, I mean, sorry, she's been struggling with being bipolar. She's now in a state of dementia. Bipolar puts you, and some of you know this, maybe you've been diagnosed with it, it puts you on a very manic state and then uh, a very depressive state. And now what's amazing is today they have a lot of medication that really helps. In her day in 1987 and in 1997 and in 2007, they didn't have as many of the great um, medicines as they do to treat this. And so what would happen over the years is my grandmother would get on these really psychotic 
um, like these these ramps, and she would go um, where she would go to Walmart in the middle of the night and spend thousands of dollars where she would uh, take and she I, she totaled more cars than than I could count like literally it'd be like every couple months I'm like oh your grandmother flipped her van or like like drove her Volkswagen bug through a flood like over and over again because she would get in these states where she wasn't thinking clearly and she thought she could rule the world she at one point said she was going to go to outer space with my friend and they were going to run off together. It was kind of funny in the moment. But now, uh, but, but honestly, what was going on, <laughs> well, you got to laugh or cry, you know. Uh, what was going on was that she was, was totally out of her mind because of the sickness and the disease that was happening in her brain. And yet what I saw over and over again was my grandfather patiently walking with my grandmother, spending, I'm telling you, every time she had to go into the, um, into the mental health facility, it cost my grandfather $25,000. And so every time she went in, my grandfather would pay a $25,000 bill. She went in that I can count at least five times. Over again, over and over again, my grandfather would spend thousands of dollars on my grandmother over and over again my grandmother would have these episodes where she would try to leave my grandfather and run from my grandfather and and yet my grandfather would patiently stay with her and patiently love her and patiently care for her until the point where she got so sick she was unable to communicate clearly and unable to walk uh, well and, and unable to feed herself and unable to bathe herself and unable to use the restroom by herself and unable to change herself. And my grandfather became the primary caregiver because there was a moment of clarity in my grandmother when she was going in the middle of this where she looks at my grandfather and says, hey, would you promise me that you won't put me in a senior living facility? You won't put me in a home. And my grandfather, looking at my grandmother with only love in his eyes, said, yes, absolutely, I promise you that. And so every time I ask my 88-year-old grandfather, who is the primary caregiver for my grandmother, why would you not like go let her be in a place where they can better take care of her. He says, because I made her a promise and I love her. That if you want to know what the definition of love is, it's not a bunch of I feel good feelings and they make me feel okay. No, the definition of love always starts at the place of sacrifice. It's always a place of sacrifice. That my grandfather paints this clear picture of like, no, this is what love is. It's when you say, I do to a person 65 years ago, and yet now that they are out of their mind and unable to take care of themselves, I'm not leaving her. I'm not putting her in a senior living facility. No, I'm going to sacrifice financially and physically. He's had back issues and back surgeries because of lifting my grandmother up over and over again. That he doesn't get to play golf like he thought he would. He's never been to Virginia because she can't travel. He hasn't met a, a, a couple of my kids because they can't get out and we haven't been able to make it. All because of his love for this woman. He sacrificed everything for her. 
that's what love looks like. It's not this fairy tale nonsense that every movie and every cartoon and everything on the internet wants to sell you. That ends and you end up scarred and hurt. In fact, what, what my grandfather lives out is actually what the Bible says. No, hey, here is what love is. Let, let, me, let me tell you, would you hear it? You see it in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes, he says, hey, here's what love is. Love is patient and love is kind and love does not envy. It's not jealous of other things. It's happy with what it has. It's not boastful telling other how great it is. In fact, it lifts others up. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Can you imagine if my grandfather looked at my grandmother and said, oh, you need my help, but don't you remember back in 1974, whenever you wouldn't help me with the groceries? That's insane. And also, that would be a crazy good memory. He says, but it doesn't keep a record of wrong. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. It finds no joy in the things that are not pleasing to the Lord. But it rejoices in the truth. And listen, it bears all things. It believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. It's not this temporary thing that we fall into and out of. I'm telling you this, if my grandfather believed in a love that he fell into and he said, when I saw your grandmother, I just fell in love. Then you believe that's the type of feeling that you would absolutely fall out of when it came time to bathe and take care of and feed and all of those things. That's not the love described here. It's not something you can fall into and fall out of. It doesn't come and go. Rather, it's something that we choose every time we interact with a person. Don't you hear that? Love is something you get to choose every time you interact with someone. That you choose whether you will serve them and bear the things that the burdens on them or whether you will choose to be self-serving, to serve yourself. Since so that's what love is. That it's a choice to look after someone else's good and what is best for them. Not what feels best to them, but what is actually best for them and not your own. That true love is lived out through sacrifice. If that's what you need to hear, that marriage revolves around love and true love is lived out through sacrifice. If you look at 1 John 4, you would just see this written all over it. It says, man, this is how you know what love is. Is that Jesus came, he looked at you in your sinfulness, in your dirtiness, in your filth, and he said what? He said, I love you. I love you. And so, so he went to the cross to die for the sins that separated you from God, that you would have life in him. Why? Because he loved you. That's not self-serving. Anytime you look at God's word and you look at love, you always see that it's paired with sacrifice. The love always starts with sacrifice. So if someone is in your life right now and they're telling you and you're in some dating relationship, some kind of like, oh, this is so great. And they're saying, hey, I love you. You better be looking for the sacrifice behind that word. Or 
where it's not love, they're saying, I'm infatuated with you. I have these, these, these butterflies inside of me because of you. And those fade. When, when, when things don't begin to work out, the butterflies go away, and guess what? The love goes away with it, at least their definition of love. So you can say the words, I love you to someone all you want. But you can only truly live it in another person and live it out with another person through the form of sacrifice. See, my grandfather could have put my grandmother in an old folks home in a senior living facility. And every time he visited her, he could have left her and said, hey, I love you, bye. And he could have said it over and over again. And every time he visited once a month, he could have been like, oh, I love you, bye. No, no, love is lived out through action. And now I'm not saying if you've got someone in there that you don't love them. But I'm saying in my grandfather's case where he made a promise, his love was only lived out through his sacrifice in this moment. It was only lived out through that kind of sacrifice. It was lived out through sacrifice. You go to the beginning of, that was 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, but you go 1 Corinthians 1 through 3, it says this. It says, in fact, if you don't have love, he says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a claiming symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and I, if I have the faith of all that moves mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, he says, man, I gain nothing. He says, there is no, like, like there is no uh, product. There is nothing good. There's nothing beneficial. If you have all these other attributes, but yet you don't know how to love people. Love is patient and it's kind and it does not boast. Yet the reason we don't see this kind of love that is described in 1 Corinthians in our own life all the time is because it is often experience, uh, it's not often experienced, and the reason we don't experience is because it's often infatuation that we are experiencing. See, it's dangerous when we confuse love with infatuation. Infatuation is, is described as this, is to have a strong desire for something. It would be a blinding desire. You know that person that's like dating that person and all of your friends are telling them, hey, you should break up with that person. And yet they're like, no. And you're like, why? And they're like, because I love them, right? And you're like, you're blind. And they'd be like, yeah, probably, right? Like there, it's a blinding desire. That's called infatuation. It manifests itself in the physical. Now, these feelings of this kind of love only lasts till the desire is, long, is gone. He says, or until the partner stops meeting our needs. And so when your relationship is built on infatuation, it's built on what can they do for me? First Peter 2.11 actually says that this passion of the flesh, I need you to hear this, we're almost done, that this passion of the flesh actually wages war on your soul. 
that when you jump into a relationship and it's based on what the people can do for me and how they can fulfill my fleshly desires and how they make me feel and I continue to like seek this and I have this like almost greed of the soul. First Peter, Peter would say, he says, hey, it actually wages war on your soul. It actually on a soul level is destructive to you. I get it. The shell looks great. You're okay. And and they don't see any of the scars. But on a soul level, those kind of interactions and those kind of, uh, 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 of mistakes and those kind of experiences of these flesh experiences that you call love, but it's actually infatuation. He says, man, that actually wages war on your soul. That there's no, pre- no peace in that. There's no freedom in that. But rather, it's turmoil and it's war. And so there's another spot in 1 Corinthians where Paul would actually say, so you should flee from sexual desire. You should flee from the things that aren't righteous to the Lord. He says, love loves what is righteous. In your love for people, you should flee from that. And why he's saying that is because he agrees with Peter. He's saying it's actually not a loss when you flee from these interactions. It's actually to your benefit. You actually have something to gain. So as you come to a relationship, as you think about, hey, when I'll get married one day and what that will look like and how I will love people from now until then, here's what you need to understand. You need to understand the difference in infatuation and in love. And I'm going to give you just one sentence. Infatuation fulfills your wants while love fulfills another's true needs. Infatuation fulfills your wants while love fulfills another's true needs. So I want you to consider how you're feeling about that person the next time you have that feeling for a person, you know, where you like like them. Like, I want you to think about it. The next time they, you hear that guy, ladies, who's like trying to like get extra close and like make the relationship go a step further and he drops the L word and says, oh girl, I think I love you. Yo, you gotta stop him right there. And you've got to consider, what's he trying to accomplish? Is he actually trying to fulfill your true needs as a woman, as a daughter of Christ? Or is he trying to fulfill his own wants? You've got to be the judge, but, take, but have wisdom there. Nine times out of ten, in this stage of our life, We drop the L word because it fulfills our own wants. That love fulfills another's true needs and that should be the DNA of your marriage. That should be what makes a healthy marriage. That should be what you look for as you get to that stage in your life later on. And a biblical marriage paints this very specific picture For anyone who would observe it, Ephesians 5, like I said earlier, says that the husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to give himself up for her. It's the clearest picture we have of the gospel. It's the way people in marriage should love is the way that Jesus has loved us. Hear that? The way people love in marriage is the way and should be the way that Jesus has loved us.
So here's what I want you to, number one, consider. Have you recognized how much Jesus has loved you? Have you recognized how, like, filthy your sins are? Yet Jesus still stands, and you got to hear this and don't hear anything else. Jesus still stands, and he looks at you, and he sees you in your sin, not in your cover-up, not in your makeup, not in, in, in the, the identity that everyone else sees. He sees you, and you, you really you like who you are in every mistake in every regret in every scar in every nightmare like everything he sees you all together with all your junk he looks at you he says i love you I love you. Not I'm infatuated with you. Not you make me have some butterflies. No, I love you. I will sacrifice for your greatest need. He says, I love you. I love you. So as we prepare one day to say that to someone else, knowing all their stuff and all their junk and all their stuff and saying, hey, I'm, I'm committing to waking up every morning and choosing to love you to the best of my ability as God empowers me in marriage. Like as we choose that, I would challenge you that you would begin to consider the people God has put in your life right now. Not in some kind of weird relationship, but like just the friends and the people that are loners and maybe the, the people that don't have any friends, but that God has put in your life right now. People in your community, in your circles, I would, I would challenge you to begin to look at them and then you would begin to ask, how can I practice loving them? If I'm supposed to be someone who's loving in marriage, how can I practice loving them today? How can when I get married and I have to choose to love somebody, that becomes natural because I've already learned what it looks like to love imperfect people. How can you begin to practice now? I think number one, it recognize, recognizing why you are in every relationship. Is it self-serving? How can you actually recognize the people around you's greatest need and, and then fulfill that and encourage them in that. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna go to community groups. Um, if you don't know where you're going, uh, come up here and I will get you in the right spot. We're in a little bit different rooms. So we're gonna, uh, we're gonna go like all different places. So find a leader around you, ask them, they have a list and they'll tell you where we're gonna go. Um, if you could put your chairs up too, that would be great. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna go. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. God, not infatuated with us, but actually loving us. God, we thank you for the opportunity that um, we have to experience that love in a season um, right now as we, we love one another, but Lord, also that one day that we do enter into marriage, if we enter into marriage. God, thank you for, for giving us the picture what you've done for us. So God, would, um, would you help us to redefine what we thought relationships were about, how we thought healthy relationships worked, and what love is? God, would you help us to look seriously at the relationships around us? God, would you cut through all the nonsense? Would we be able to see the heart of the people around us? God, would you save us from relational mistakes? 
God, would we walk forward um, loving you Lord, in a sacrificial way, experiencing your love in a sacrificial way and looking to love others. God, we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.